0: Welcome to the Jesus Culture Sacramento Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Banning Lecture. All right, if you got your Bibles, get them out. We're going to go to Romans chapter 13. I'm really going to land in Luke chapter 12. So actually, go to Luke chapter 12 and I'll just reference Romans 13. Luke chapter 12. Romans chapter 13 is the verse that I read uh, a few Sundays ago when we did a joint service as we launched in our 21 days of prayer and fasting where we talked about God is awakening a cry inside of us. But I just want to highlight this one phrase that's just been really just kind of gripped me recently. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 says this, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Paul's writing the Romans and he says, listen, it's time to wake up from your slumber But he's saying, I want you to do this because you need to understand the present time. That if you're asleep, you're not going to be able to understand the present time that you're in. Now I want you to go to Luke chapter 12. It's a little bit of a mere passage with this. Luke chapter 12, the gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 54 says this. He said to the crowd, this is talking about Jesus, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, going to rain. And it does. And when the South wind blows, you say it's going to be hot. And it is hypocrites. You know how to interpret. One translation says discern, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? We said again, he said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the West, immediately When you see a cloud rise in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. And then here's harsh language. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret or discern the appearance of of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? There's a consistent theme in the messaging of the New Testament and Jesus. There's a consistent theme that Jesus taught on where he calls us, in essence, to pay attention. That we're called to be aware. He would use phrases like, be alert, be sober-minded. He would talk about watch and pray. Don't just pray, make sure you're watching. Make sure that you're alert. Make sure that you're paying attention. Make sure that you're sober-minded so that you can clearly see some things. Jesus actually calls us not to walk through our spiritual life with our head down that so many people in their spiritual life are walking through life completely unaware. Not alert, not paying attention, not sober-minded, not watching. They're completely unaware of what's happening around them. And they're like those people that are walking in New York City with their head down on their phone, not paying attention to anything else that's going around them. I don't even know if you know this right now, but they now are just putting signs up everywhere because people are so locked in on their phone with their head down, not paying attention to anything that's going around them, that they're now getting in accidents walking. People are now getting in accidents walking because they're not paying attention. There are some cities now that they actually have signs painted into the, con- the pavement <laughs> so that as people are walking, they can see the sign that's right because they're not, they don't have their eyes up. You can have your head down and miss a lot. I was just in, uh, last year I was speaking in England, and I was speaking in England, and then, and then I was going to go to Zurich to speak there, and so instead of taking a flight, I was with my, bro, my, I was with my nephew, actually, we were going to fly, I said, hey, instead of flying over there, let's get on a, a, a train, about eight hours or something, and go from London all the way to Zurich, and of course, you're going to go you know, from London, then you're going to go through, through uh, uh, France, we kind of... Took a quick three hour pit stop in Paris to run around and take some pictures, got back on, and then headed into uh, Switzerland. And what's amazing about it is you can actually be on that train going through the fields of France, going through the countryside of Europe. I don't know if you've ever been on a train in Europe. It's really beautiful, it's stunning. It's all, it's all these fields, it's like, you know, uh, there's, there's all these like uh, beautiful towns and little places you're going. You can miss the entire thing easily, because you just have your head down, <laughs> looking at a screen the entire time. This is just the time we live in right now. I'll go on a trip with my kids, and I'm not sure they saw anything but what was on there. And, and here's the problem, guys. This is our spiritual life. Jesus says, listen, don't just have your eyes down. Get your eyes up. Look, pay attention, be alert. Here's why it's important. Because when you pay attention you actually begin to understand the times. And if I could put it this way, you understand the moment that's in front of you. And it's important to understand the moment because moments determine priorities. In other words, when I recognize the time that's in front of me, when I recognize the moment, when I'm actually paying attention, when I'm paying attention spiritually, and I recognize the moment that I'm in, that moment sets the priorities for me. Therefore, when I don't know the moment, my priorities are off. Here's the story I would tell is that my son, who's 18, we have three kids, 24, 21, and 18. My two oldest are girls. And, uh, you know, we were 21 when we got married, 22 when he got pregnant. And and so, uh, or when we actually had uh, uh, my oldest Ellie. And so for my first two, uh, CJ just wanted, um, there was some women in her life that were, you know, uh, kind of spiritual moms in her life and important. They were all intercessor ladies, though. But they were these spiritual, they were these women in his life. So she asked them to come in the room. So for the first two, we had these kind of women that, that, that were kind of spiritual mothers to CJ and intercessors. And so, so when, when my girls were born, I didn't actually see them get delivered. I wasn't down by the action, you know? I was just up by, because the, because the lady, the intercessors were down there, you know? And I don't know what they were doing. They're in there waving flags and blowing shofars and shut up, get, you know, just, what I, it, was, it was that moment in the, you know, but it was awesome, actually. I'm not saying that negatively. It was fantastic. But for my third kid, my son, I actually, I actually experienced something I hadn't with my girls in that I actually was, we're all grown adults, right? I was just down by the action this time. I actually saw him being born. And there's a moment in childbirth that I will never forget. Never forget. Because there's there's a there's a moment, and I, I want to set it up by saying this. When we went to, when my son was gonna be born, we actually didn't know he was coming the night that we went. My wife had been having contractions, he was late. But we thought, you know, the doctor's like, oh, you're not gonna have this baby yet. And so uh, we were going to go like on a date night. It's like a Wednesday night in August in Reading. And uh, so I just told, I told CJ, I said, how about we do this? I said, how about we, uh, we're going to go on a date. And I, I said, let's go. She, she was pregnant, you know. So it's in the middle of August, pregnant. I said, let's go to a driving range. I'll hit some golf balls. And you can just sit and chat away. So you sit and chat, talk. You know, I just go, I'll wind you up. You go for it. You just talk all you want. And I'll hit some golf balls. Sounded like a perfect date night, right? So this is perfect. <laughs> this couldn't be better. And She said, okay. And I said, but why don't we swing by the hospital real quick? Cause you obviously you want it. you know, my wife likes information. So I'm like, let's go see what the doctors say about how far along you are. We'll just swing by the hospital. They'll check you out. Then we're gonna go to the driving range. She goes, great. We go to the hospital, we go in there, they check her out. And they said, sweetie, you're not going anywhere. You are, uh, you're dilated to a seven and 90% effaced. You're having this baby. She had the baby within an hour. (laughs) But, but when I'm, but when she's having this child, there's a moment I'll never forget it when, when, when just the head of the baby crowns and it's the first time I'm physically laying eyes on my child. Like this, this baby that you've already fallen in love with, this baby you've talked and, and, and prayed over and just already feel so connected, but you've never physically laid eyes on this child. It's the first time you it's an amazing experience. But in that moment, whatever priorities I had before, it, they're not even bad. This isn't like bad versus good. Whatever priorities I had before are now a distant second. They no longer matter. Because that moment determines the priorities. I didn't walk up to my wife with the heads crowning and I'm up there going like, do you mind if I still go hit some golf balls? Because I was really looking forward to, I kind of had this whole thing and I had a whole night plan. Do you mind if I go hit some golf balls still? Like that wasn't what was happening. Because my priority of going to the driving range was no longer a priority. Do you want to know why? Because I recognized the moment. And I'm scared of my wife. (laughs) <laughs> a little bit of both. I may have gone and hit some golf balls if I didn't have a holy fear of that woman. So, But that, that moment rearranges and sets priorities. The moment determines the priorities. And so my concern is this. If you're not aware, if you're not alert, if you're not paying attention, if you're not sober-minded, if you're not watching then how do you even know what matters and what you should be doing? How do you even know if what you're giving yourself to are the right priorities for the moment that you're in? I'm going to give you three. I'm just going to quickly give you three. Two are kind of personal. One is about the world. But I think there's three questions we should be asking the Lord consistently. I think in our life, the Bible actually talks about you should be inquiring of the Lord. In fact, the Bible says about Joshua that one of the things that when Joshua uh, went wrong in a situation, it was because he hadn't inquired of the Lord. You see all the time in the Old Testament, they're constantly just inquiring of the Lord. They're asking him questions. I think we should be asking questions of the Lord all the time. But here's the three questions I think you should be asking that will help you determine the moment you're in, that will help determine the priorities you should be giving yourself to. Here's the first one. You should be asking yourself, all the time. You should be asking God, what season am I in? Yes. Yes. Now, I think that if you read scripture, the imagery that you're going to see the most compare when it comes to how our lives are compared. In other words, the illustration or analogies that scripture uses about our life is almost always agricultural. It's, it's trees that are growing, <laughs> It's trees that are planted, it's roots, it's fruit, it's agriculture. And and, and really, the Bible was written in and Jesus taught in a time of agriculture. And so I think that if we're really going to, I think that the agricultural concepts lend themselves way more to understanding our spiritual lives than anything we could understand in the technological information industrial age. It's agriculture that reflects more about how God has designed us. And in agriculture, farmers understand that there are seasons. One of the things that blows me away pastoring for this long now is how many people are just unaware, not only of what season they're in, but that seasons even exist. They just think there should never be seasons. And they're just confused by it. Farmers aren't confused by it. Farmers aren't confused by winter. They're not confused by winter. They understand that there's winter, and there's spring, and there's summer, and there's fall. And because they understand the season, they know how to properly engage that season. Uh, So when they recognize the moment, that, that this moment is winter, this moment is spring, That determines priorities of how I'm going to engage with it. Do you know how many people I know are just frustrated in life and are confused in life simply because they don't understand the season they're in and therefore they don't know how to engage it? There's not a farmer in the earth who's out there in the middle of winter, frozen ground, trying to plant seeds. Confused and frustrated why the seed isn't taking root, confused and frustrated, why somehow they're not seeing growth in the middle of winter. Not one. There's not one farmer that walks in and goes, I just just don't understand. I just do not get it. I don't know what's going on right now. I can't seem to get seeds in the ground. Every other farmer's like, what are you, an idiot? It's winter. Now, winter is not wasted. A farmer would know. Oh, you know what winter is? Winter's where you rest. Winter's where you hold up and you hunker down with your family. Winter's a little bit more about getting time with family. Winter's about fixing those tools and the equipment that needs to be fixed. Winter's a time of rest. But at the same time, when it's harvest time, when it's planting time, they're not in there holed up, hunkered down. They understand it's time to plant. You better get up. Get up in the morning. It's not time to harvest. When you harvest, you get up early in the morning. You stay up late at night. You're going to make sure. And, and nobody's complaining about it. They're not like, oh, it's harvest time. I, uh, because I understand the season, I understand how to engage it, and I understand priorities. I'm not confused. I'm not frustrated. Because I think most of the seasons we go through, you actually could navigate really well if you just understood what the season was. Most of it's not. I actually think winter's not hard. Winter's only hard when you show up with sandals, tank top, and shorts on. I, I really mean this. It's one of the things when I was out there in, in you know sub-zero freezing temperature, because I'm out there with like my, my little hoodie on, and my little Lululemon joggers, and they just instantly froze. And I'm just like, what's going on? Well, the people that are picking me up are laughing. They all have like they all have the right gear. They got the right clothes. First time I went to Brazil. This is the American in me. I just assumed that whatever season it is in America, that's the season it is in every other nation in the earth at that time. That's just, right. that's just my assumption as an American, you know? And so, it was the middle of summer, we go down there. I, I just assumed it was summer in Brazil. I didn't look at the weather or anything. I just, like, it's summer, I'm sure. And I, I just packed for summer, and I got down to Brazil, and it was not summer, it was winter. It was freezing cold, it was rainy and cold and windy. I was completely unprepared. Do you understand the issue in that moment is not the season. That's not the issue. The issue is I was packed for summer and showed up to winter. If I would have packed for winter, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. I would have shown up. I would have known what's going on. I would have the right gear, right? we got to ask the Lord, Lord, what season am I in? But then here's the second question. The second thing I'd ask the Lord. Again, when we're saying, be alert, be aware. What moment are you in? I ask the Lord this, not only what season am I in, but what are you doing In that season. God, what season am I in? But then the question is this. What what is God doing in this season in my life? I don't know if you know this, but God actually has a plan for your life. He's on mission in your life. God is trying to accomplish something in your life. But here's the exciting thing. He invites you to partner with him in what he's doing. God's actually trying to do something in your life. He has plans and purposes that he's trying to carry out in your life. And then he says, hey, listen, you know what? Come on, partner with me. I'm trying to do this in your life. Partner with me in it. Well, how can I partner with him if I don't even know what it is? How can I partner with the Lord? Do you know know so many times I run into people, they're not just partnering with the Lord, they're actually fighting against what he's trying to do because they don't know what he's trying to do. He's trying to do something, they're resisting it simply because they haven't asked him, what are you trying to do? I remember, you know, the Lord many times for us would, uh, yeah, there, there's a few times early on in ministry for us when, I mean, when we came down here your plant, we came down and, uh, you know, it took a bunch of cash to start the church and all that. So we were just cash tight. And you know, I remember, I don't know, it was February and we we're looking at the books and June, we we're gonna run out of cash. I'm like, well, what are we gonna do? And I just go to the Lord. The Lord would just say, here's what I'm doing in your life. Patience. It's like I'm trying to teach you patience right now to teach you patience and then he'd bring me into scripture and he'd talk about how patience actually produces things that i'm lacking he goes you're lacking in some areas i want to release these things to you but the only way you get them is through patience and so i go okay all right patience is what the lord's doing in my life because he's trying to release something to me and when he wasn't answering as fast as I thought he should, when he wasn't solving my problem as quick as I thought he should, I understood. Nobody's doing his patience. That's what he's doing. I need to embrace that. I need to partner with that. don't want to resist that. I remember the Lord, I think, I think it was the same time frame, but we were actually tight. And all of a sudden, a lady called me from Reading. I don't know what we needed. We needed like $100,000 or something like that to make it. And, and, and I remember uh, a lady called me. So when we were in Reading, there was a group of intercessors, these ladies, older ladies we loved. I'd fly them to our conferences around the nation just to sit in the, sit in the crowd and pray. They'd come in and pray for us. These ladies were awesome. They'd come in and pray for our staff. Well, one of them was this like pretty eclectic, kind of hippie lady, single. Amazing, we loved her. She was awesome. Shortly after we moved down here, I heard that she had she had passed away, and so we were I were like we we loved her and it, it was, but but I heard she passed away. Well, about a year later or so, when we were kind of hitting this thing, I got a phone call from another intercessor lady that was one of her friends. It said, "Hey, um, you know the lady passed away. Yes, hey, uh, she left a little something for you. So next time you're ready, and just call me, and we'll go. We'll I'll give it to you." I said, "Okay." And so I go and I I, I go have lunch, I go have breakfast or whatever, this lady. And and I'm thinking, and listen, I'll take anything. I'll five thousand dollars. I'm praise Lord, right? But I go sit down with her, and she says, Hey, nobody even knew this lady had money. You know, and she said, Hey, she said two weeks before she passed away. This is a year before. She said it just taken that long to get through. She said two weeks before this lady passed away, she called her lawyer, her attorney and said, I want to change my will. I want to put Jesus' culture in my will. We were already moved by then. She said, I want, to put two, I want to put Jesus' culture in my will. Two weeks before, she ends up passing away. A year later, this lady sits down with me right in the middle of our, our situation and just says, hey, and she hands me a check from her for $110,000. And the, the Lord, who receives that for themselves, just receive that for yourself. <laughs> The Lord was trying to teach me. Hear me on this. The Lord was trying to teach me. Benning, I've already got it worked out. I worked it out a year ago. Now, you, 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 don't, you, you can't see it yet. But I solved this problem a year ago. I need you to trust me. Now, here's what happens. When I don't know that the moment is about the priority of patience and trusting, if I, if I don't understand what God's doing, I'm actually fighting it. I'm resisting it. I'm frustrated by it. I'm confused by it. But when I understand, oh, God's trying to teach me something. He's trying to teach me patience. He's trying to teach me to trust him. He's, try, he's about to teach me that he already worked this out a year ago. That he actually moves in the hearts of women to change their wills because he wants to provide for me. If you're not asking God questions, can I just say, ask God questions? What season am I in, God? Am I acting like it's summertime when it's actually fall? Am I acting like it's spring when it's actually winter? And if it is spring, what should I be doing? And then what are you doing? Because I want to partner with it. I don't want to resist what you're trying to do. I was in school of ministry. I remember 25 years old, uh, Chris Falton comes to me. I don't know why he asked me at 25 to run second year, but he came to me at 25 and said, I was a youth pastor. He says, hey, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to lead second year school ministry. There was like 43 students at the time. It was a little, little smaller than it is now. But I said, okay, so I, I, I take on second year. I'm a youth pastor, i to do that. And, uh, and, and it was four year process, but the first two years was just brutal. Hated it. You know there's those things where you're like, this is why I'm alive. I would do this for free. This wasn't that. <laughs> I was going home going, this isn't why I'm alive. <laughs> and I would not do this for free. And, uh, and I was just so, because it was sticking me in all of my weaknesses. It was like pastoral. And it, like, I wanted to preach. And there was no preaching. It was like being a principal, administrator, counselor. That's what it was. I was a counseling, administrative principal. And, uh, so, so finally two years in, I finally just, I was so frustrated. I finally just stopped and said, Lord, what are you doing in this season? Two years in. And he just said, I'm trying to teach you how to pastor. I'm trying to, he kind of started walking me through the the pastoring. And in essence, what he was telling me was this, you're weak in some areas and I'm trying to strengthen those areas. And I'm like, Lord, is there any way you could strengthen those areas without making me in them? Like, can you just, it's like the matrix. Can you just download them to real quick? Just download that thing to me. But when I realized, Oh, that's what you're doing. The areas of weakness in my leadership life, you're sticking me in them because you need those to be strengthened for me to be able to do what I'm called to do. Well, all of a sudden I started looking at everything different all of, a sudden I'm in, all of a sudden, I'm in counseling sessions with these students, but I began to go, Oh Lord, this is what you're trying to do in my life right now. Yeah. Okay, I can partner with that. Yes. I, I, the frustration, the confusion was gone because I can partner with that. Yeah. I'm gonna end with this and I'm gonna move it away from personal quick. I'm gonna talk about the world. And this is just gonna be my real quick pastoral, pastoral thing for you. The third question I think we should be asking often to determine what moment I'm in so that priorities can be determined for me. Is this. What is God doing in this hour? See, I actually think that we are called to pay attention to what's happening in the world. I believe that the Lord calls us to be alert. I believe the Lord calls us to watch. I believe that we're called to be watchmen on the walls. We are to pay attention to what's happening in the world. But even beyond that, what we're to pay attention to is what God is doing in the world. It's, you're supposed to know what's happening in the hour you live in. You're supposed to know even more what God is wanting to do in that hour. This is the bit. There's a passage we read quite often, Psalm 33, verse 10. It just says this. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. So he's actually describing there's, there's plans and purposes that are anti-God. Those are not in line with God's plans. They're not in line with God's heart. They're actually anti-Christ in nature. They're anti-God in nature. But now the Bible says this. He's going to thwart those, and those are going to come to know. And, but then it says this. But then God has plans, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Here's, here's the analogy I would use. Here's what I'd tell you. If you were to go in my office right now, and, you were to, and, you were to, and I was to highlight my favorite books, if I had 10 favorite books, nine of them would be biographies. I love biographies. In fact, I have this kind of like picture in my head that's never gonna happen, but my most treasured books, I'm gonna pass on to my son one day who's gonna pass on to his son one day. It's never gonna happen. They're gonna be like, what? Well, I don't know, my dad gave me a bunch of dusty books. But, but, but like, like my most treasured books that one day I'm imagining my great-grandkids reading, you know, they're all biographies. And, if you, and, and, and the best biographies actually paint the picture. Not They don't just tell the story of who they're writing about, of the individual. They actually give the context of history and culture happening around them. To truly understand the story of that individual, you need to understand the context of history and culture around them. It's one of the reasons why, if you really want to learn about history, read biographies, because the best biographers are actually telling the history and culture as well. But here's my point. Although, yes, I want to know about the history and culture, it's only to understand the backdrop of the story that's being told. The star of that biography is not, the his, is not the culture and the context and the history happening around that person. It's important to understand it's just not the star. The star is the story of that person in that context. Are you with me on this? So I think you should be aware. I think you should be asking God, what is the hour that I live in but simply so that you can have a backdrop of understanding what God is doing in this hour. See, the problem is, is if all you know, some of you in this room, you are, you are uber aware of the time that we live in. And you can quote all the statistics to me about what's happening and what's happening in the schools and what's happening in government and what's happening in the world and, and this philosophy and this philosophy and, 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 and the, uh, the attack on this and the attack on that. And part of me goes, I think you should be aware of that. But if that's all you're aware of, it will lead you to a place of hopelessness and despair. The goal is not to be aware of that. The goal is to be aware of that simply as a backdrop and a context for understanding what God's about to do. That I may understand there's deep darkness in the earth, but that's simply a backdrop for the storyline of the glory of God rising on His people. Right? It's like, is there deep darkness? Absolutely. Am I aware of it? Absolutely. But you know what I'm more aware of? The biography I'm reading, which is the storyline of God that the glory of the Lord is going to rise on his people. That God, that where there may be a backdrop of sin abounding, but it's just because the storyline of grace that's going to abound even more is going to come. So we need to be aware. I'm not going to tell you, stop being aware. I'm just saying, listen, you've got to be aware of the context. But only because you understand what God is about to do. And I'm asking all the time, God, because you know where faith comes from? Faith comes from understanding what God is going to do. You know where hope comes from? It's understanding that although it may look bleak, God is about to move and profound. God is going to do something in our day. And this is where where hope and faith comes from. We can have the worship team come up. Psalm 29, verse 10 says this, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. I have no problem you telling me that there's a flood. I have no problem saying, hey, listen, watch and pray. There's a flood. As long as you follow it up with this. But God is sitting enthroned above that flood. God sits as king forever. God's going to bless His people with peace. He's going to release strength to His people. You, listen. I don't mind you telling me there's a flood. Just you got to make sure that you understand that God is the center of our story. God is the one we're reading about. God is the one we're paying attention to, and God is going to show Himself strong. God is going to show Himself strong in the midst of a flood that we're going to say there may be a flood, but God is still sitting enthroned above that flood, and he will be king forever. This is why, listen guys, when you recognize the moment, if you think the moment is the flood, your priorities are going to be off. If you understand the moment is God sitting as king over that flood, your priorities are going to get rearranged. Your priorities will shift when you understand the moment properly. I'll tell you this morning, I, I feel less about a response right now and a more, I want to challenge you around this message is the impact of a message. is not just about this 35 minutes that I speak. It's about you hearing what the Lord is saying and taking it and just meditating on it that you would take what you hear the Lord saying. You'd go plant it in soil. You'd sit before the Lord and say, Lord, just speak to me. That you'd go ask him these three questions. It's not just applauding on a Sunday morning. It's leaving this place and saying, God, I want to know what season I'm in. I want to know what you're doing. I want to know the time that I live in. But more than that, I want to know what you're doing in that time. Jesus says, listen, don't be a hypocrite. I tell you what, the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, it's going (laughs) to rain. You know, we all, we all it, it's amazing, the older I get, the more I'm getting into, uh, you know, talking about weather and what's happening and what's coming and all that type of stuff. But Jesus like, don't be a hypocrite, that you can look out and figure out it's gonna rain, but you can't actually discern what spiritual time you're a part of. In your own life and in the world. We just say, God, we wanna be aware. We wanna be people that are alert. We wanna be a people that are aware. We wanna be a people paying attention. We wanna be a people that are sober-minded. We wanna be people to watch. Just take a moment so father i just pray for everybody in here right now that you would open our spiritual eyes that we would take spiritually our eyes off of the ground and we begin to lift them up and pay attention teach us what it is to inquire of you teach us what it is to come before you and just ask you questions to inquire of you to get context and to get clarity around things father i pray fill us with hope fill us with faith for what you're doing in this hour May we be a people of hope. May we be a people of faith. In the midst of a flood, may we still be a people that say God is on the throne. The storyline that's being written is not about a flood, but really about a God who's on a throne above that flood. That's the storyline. Thanks for listening to the message of the week. Hungry for more? Search Jesus Culture on your podcast platforms To check out more from our Jesus Culture Podcast Network.